When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back once again, fight fans, with another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast, the little mini Olympic series that we've been doing for you. Today we're back, of course, with the 2012 Team GB Boxing Squad. Really, really excited to be going through this one, as it's so fresh for us British fight fans. But before we get into the episode, before myself and Johnston Brown break it down, of course I want you to go and check us out on social media, on Twitter, a BTR Boxing Pod, and the Facebook page is the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. You can find all the latest episodes of all the series which we run, which includes the darker side of boxing, legendary nights, career profiles, and ones to watch. Now, if you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts. Please, when you go on there and you subscribe and you've listened to an episode, leave us a rating and leave us a review. We can't stress enough how much it truly helps us get word of mouth about the podcast out there other than just our social media channels. It's so helpful to us to keep us in that top 10 of the sports news chart. We're constantly there all the time. We're going back and forth at number one. We want to stay at number one all the time. That's our goal. And to do that, we need you to help us do it. So get on there, get racing and get reviewing. If you're not an Apple Podcast user... You can check us out on any other podcasting app, including Pocket Cast, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, any available podcasting app out there, you can find us on it. Well, this is it then, guys. Without further ado, this is the next episode of the Olympic mini-series. This is the 2012 Olympic boxing team of Great Britain. It's another episode based on the Olympic 
boxing teams that we've been covering over the past few weeks for the main BTR Boxing Podcast feed. Of course, we've done the 1976 USA Olympic team, we've done the 1984 USA Olympic team, and we've now decided to come back to Britain and do the Team GB of 2012, probably Britain's best Olympic Games for many, many years, and certainly it was a great Olympic Games for our boxing team. We had some great stars that went into it, some great stars that came out of the back of it, and I'm really looking forward to recapping on this because although it was eight years ago, it feels like yesterday for me personally, and I'm really excited to to go back over everything and talk about these fighters and then also be able to look at where they are in their careers at the moment. Same here, and and it was a great time for me living in London. I really enjoyed the Olympics as a whole, obviously enjoyed the boxing and and as you say, it was, it was a brilliant performance from, from the great British team. And, and just, we, we'll start with, I mean, the fact is the Team GB have not been blessed with numerous medals in the boxing event with our best performance actually coming in 1956 in the Melbourne uh, Olympics prior to London 2012. And a total of five medals were won that year in 1956. Two bronzes for Nicholas Gurgango and John McCormack and one silver for Thomas Nichols and two golds for Richard McTaggart and Terence Spinks. Now, since then, Team GB have achieved limited success. So from Rome, 1960, to Athens in 2004, that was 12 Olympic Games where Great Britain had actually accumulated 11 bronzes, one silver and only two golds. Yeah, it's not really a a great performance, is it, since the 1956 (laughs) Olympics? We've really not done that great when you look back on on that and you look at it in that perspective as we didn't really do too well. We we didn't even send too many people to a lot of the Olympics as well, which we'll, we'll sort of touch on while we go through the episode. And it was following that silver medal success for one of our participants in particular Amir Khan in Athens in Greece in 2004 that the fortunes of Team GB has actually changed and the following year on 6th of July 2005 the final selection for the Olympic Games host for 2012 were announced in Singapore now Moscow were the first city to be eliminated followed by New York and Madrid and the final two contenders were London and Paris and at the end of the fourth round of voting London won the right to host the 2012 Games with 54 votes to 50 in a very, very close decision against Paris there, which it could have been completely different if Paris would have got it. I don't think it'll it'll have been the same. And maybe superstitions might tell you that we might have even not done as well at this particular Olympics. Yeah, absolutely. And we may not have got some of the guys that come through because obviously the investment obviously went in uh, to the Games in 2000, following 2005, obviously, you know, uh, that happens. And 24 hours later, the announcement of the celebrations in London were actually really overshadowed by the tragic bombings in London's transport system, which was uh, another t- a terrible moment that, you know, you need to mention literally 25 minutes after knowing that we're going to have the game in 2012. It seemed like a mile away with that tragedy that struck in the, in London on, on the bus, which is just dreadful in the station as well. But so with the knowledge that London had the Olympic Games in the bag, Team GB entered the 2008 Olympics in Beijing with eight participants in the boxing and finished with an impressive medal haul of one goal for middleweight James Gale, two bronze medals for light heavyweight Tony Jeffries and super heavyweight David Price, which was our best return since 1972. And a certain Tyson Fury actually missed out on the heavyweight division to David Price. 
Yeah, it's ironic, isn't it, how Tyson Fury missed out by getting beat and David Price goes in there and, and I mean, look at the careers and how the careers panned out after that. It just goes to show you that it doesn't always work out as we've found out in the last couple of episodes with the American lot. Now, the Olympic Games in London did have its problems with alleged gold medal fixing in September 2011. The BBC Newsnight programme uncovered evidence that $9 million or £5.9 million worth of secret payments were paid to the World Series of Boxing, a subcompany of the International Boxing Association, otherwise known as IABA, by Azerbaijan in return for two gold medals. Now, IABA denied the allegation stating that the secret payments were a loan from the Azerbaijani investor. IABA and the International Olympic Committee both started their own inquiries into the allegations. IABA investigation actually found in 2011, in December, that the allegations were groundless and unsupported by any credible evidence. So, You've got these rumours going around that Azerbaijan are trying to buy medals from the 2012 <laughs> Olympics, which is an absolute crazy story. Yeah, it's, it sounds a bit like FIFA as well in, in the football side of things. That's, that's pretty corrupt, wasn't it? Um, I, there's no doubt there, right? there was obviously some backhanders, a few thousand or whatever else was going on. I'm sure that, I mean, they said there's grounds unsupported by any credible evidence, but who knows? Eh? I wouldn't be surprised if there was something fishy going on, but... Five male members of Team GB qualified for the 2012 Olympic Games following the 2011 World Championships in Baku, Azerbaijan. They were Andrew Selby, Luke Campbell, Tom Stalker, Fred Evans and Anthony Joshua. For the final Olympic qualifiers in London, two more made the Olympic squad, Anthony Agogo and Josh Taylor. The three females that made the squad were Natasha Jonas, who made history when she reached the semi-finals of the 2012 AIBA Women's World Boxing Championships in China winning a bronze to become the first ever female British boxer to qualify for the Olympic Games. Savannah Marshall won a gold. Nicola, Nicola Adams won a silver in the same championships. And they also booked their place in the final squad of 10. The boxing tournaments at the Games in London were held from the 28th of July to the 12th of August at the Excel Exhibition Centre. A total of 286 competitors took part in 13 events. And for the first time, at the Olympic Games, women competed in three boxing events. So it was a historic event in general, really, for, for the sole fact of that female female boxers were allowed to compete in the Olympic Games, which was totally unheard of prior to the 2012 Olympics. So as we did with the last two episodes, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a little bit of a deep dive into each individual competitor's career, their build-up, how they got to the Olympic Games, how they performed, and also how they went on to go into their professional careers after the Olympic Games, and basically how they're getting on at the moment. So the first one on the list is in the flyweight division, uh, 52 kilos, it's Andrew Selby, is the younger brother of the former IBF featherweight champion Lee Selby. He actually claimed a silver medal at the 2011 World Amateur Boxing Championships in Baku, Azerbaijan. The tournament was also a qualifying event for the 2012 London Olympics, with a quarter-final being the usual qualification criteria. However, as Selby was not the only Brit in his weight division, he had to wait until later that year to seal Olympic qualification when he met Beijing Olympian Khalid or Cal Yafai at the 2011 GB Amateur Boxing Championships. Selby won the fight 26 to 12, sealing a place as Great Britain's flyweight representative at the 2012 London Olympics. 
Yeah, so Selby was a great result for him there, beating your fire, by the way. And, and Selby was the number one ranked Aber, uh, which meant he was seeded and was given a bye through to the first round in the actual tournament in the Olympics. His first bout did actually come against Kazakhstan, and I'm not going to even try and pronounce his name. It's uh, Selimanov. Now, he actually prevailed 1915. In the quarterfinal, Selby was matched against the exciting young Cuban, who was Rob Bobishi Ramirez, and he actually fell short uh, eventual gold medalist to the eventual gold medalist's 16-11 defeat, and actually prevented Selby from earning a medal at all. So Selby was one of the first competitors that actually didn't pick up anything, and Selby did actually compete in 2012 and 2013 World Series of Boxing season representing the British Lionhearts and remained un- un- unbeaten throughout that as well. Um, Andrew Selby did make his professional debut on the 30th of October 2015 and currently has a record of 13-1 with seven KOs. His only loss came against the current WBC flyweight champion Julio Cesar Martinez. It's crazy, uh, really, when you think about Andrew Selby's career because Andrew Selby was one of the guys that turned professional who... Everybody spoke about him becoming a world champion. When he got his shot against Julio Cesar Martinez, I think there were a lot of troubles going on in his personal life, which have subsequently come out after the fight. And he actually went into the lines then to, to face Martinez and, and got stopped, which was quite a shock to a lot of people. A lot of people felt he was going to go over there and, and actually completely boss Martinez. But as we've seen with Martinez, he's an absolute monster in the division and he's just destroying everybody that he comes up against so Andrew Selby we do expect him to come back and potentially win a world title it's going to be interesting to see how his career now pans out over the next couple of years so we move into the bantamweight division 56 kilos and a certain Luke Campbell now Campbell qualified for the 2012 Olympic Games after winning a silver medal at the 2011 World Amateur Boxing Championships, as we've spoke about that same qualifying tournament. Now, at the 2012 Olympics, Campbell beat Italian Vittorio Parinello 11-9, progressing to the quarterfinals, where he then met Detalin Dalakalaev of Bulgaria in his closest bout of the competition, controversially edging it by a score of 16 to 15. Now, he then goes on to beat Satoshi Shimizu from Japan, 20 to 11, in the semis before facing John Joe Nevin in the final. And in that fight, he actually dropped the Irishman at the start of the third round on his way to a 14 to 11 victory, becoming the first bantamweight boxer to win Olympic gold for Great Britain since Henry Thomas in 1908. And even a first-class postage stamp portraying Campbell was issued by Royal Mail and a postbox in Hessel Road Hull was painted gold to honour his gold medal win. Local telephone network provider Casey have also celebrated the win by painting one of their telephone boxes near to St Paul's Boxing Club gold. And Campbell, as we know now, was awarded an MBE in 2013, the New Year's Honours list for his services to boxing. I haven't quite sunk in yet. Um, you know, I'm getting to grasp with it, but I think um, it'll take a couple of weeks until it actually sinks in. Um, it's something I've worked my whole life for, and, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a tough, tough long ride. It was brilliant, you know, great for the fans. Um, you know, Nevin, top fighter. I really needed to be on my game to beat him, and um, I just listened to the coaches and, and stuck to the tactics. You know, the game plan was to draw him in, put a bit of side-to-side movement on him and just let the shots go down the middle. The support there was incredible. I've never, ever felt anything like that before in my entire life. Um, 
fantastic supporter, really, you know, can't thank him enough. Um, you know, it felt like they was in the ring with me, you know, I want to learn. Um, every time I punch, they punch with me, that's what it felt like. And, um, you know, a massive thank you for the fans last night. Incredible career as an amateur, Luke Campbell. Um, and obviously the, the guy that picked up that gold medal for us, which was fantastic. I remember watching that and that was actually on the same night as the the, uh, the relays, 100 by 400 meter relays with Usain Bolt in there as well. And I, I remember running between the front room three kitchen trying to catch both and trying to keep up with what's going on. Um, uh, great memories. And Campbell did turn pro on the same for July 2013 and went up to challenge for the WBA then the ring lightweight titles against Jorge Linares on September 23rd, 2017. He lost by narrow split division. And then in Campbell's last fight in the summer of last year, 2019, he lost on points to the Ukrainian top pound-for-pound star and three-division world champion Vasily Lavanchenko for the WBA, WBO, the ring, and the vacant WBC lightweight titles at the O2 Arena in London, back at the place. We picked up that gold medal. Unfortunately for Campbell, it hasn't worked out, but he's still good enough to win a title. I do believe that. He's just in a very tough division with one of the greatest boxers that's really ever lived, uh, especially in uh, modern day, in a way. Well, I think Campbell has got the potential to win a world title. It's whether or not now he's in that division at the right time. You've got the likes of Lomachenko, obviously, who's already beaten him. The likes of Giovanni Davis, who's sort of floating around between the divisions. You've got Devin Haney, who's a fight that's been proposed quite a few times and what we've spoke about for the main BTR Boxing Podcast feed about Luke Campbell and, and where his future lies so it will be really interesting to see that when boxing returns what will Luke Campbell do next where will he go it's going to be interesting to see how he finishes his career whether he'll ever get that world title so moving on to the lightweight category at 60 kilos Josh Taylor who won a silver medal in the 2010 Commonwealth Games in Delhi where he was actually beaten by Thomas Stoker in the lightweight final by 11-3. to Now, following that European qualifying event in Turkey, Taylor qualified for the 2012 Summer Olympics in London. He, Taylor became the first lightweight Scottish boxer to qualify for the Olympics since Dick McTaggart, who won a gold medal in Melbourne in 1956 and a bronze in Rome at the following Games in 1960. Now, after beating Brazil's Robson Conceição 13-9 in the first round, he actually lost in the quarterfinal to the number two seed, Domenico Valentino, in the next round, 10-15. The eventual winner of the lightweight gold in London was none other than someone we've just been speaking about. It was Vasily Lomachenko, of course. He went on <laughs> to win the lightweight gold in London in 2012. Now, after the Olympics, he actually reached a Commonwealth final games yet again in 2014 at the light welterweight category, winning the gold medal, defeating Janaeus Jonas of Namibia in the final. Now, Taylor, in his amateur career, then went on to represent the British Lionhearts at the World Series of Boxing before finally deciding to turn professional in June of 2015, signing at that time with Barry McGuigan's Cyclone Promotions and trained by Shane McGuigan at that time. Yeah, it's interesting um, that even if uh, Josh Taylor had got through his fight in that round against the Italian guy, Domenico Valentino, I, I wonder if he would have actually come up short in a way if he ended up facing Levitenko, but it wasn't to be for him. But it, not that it mattered because Taylor... Entered the 2018 and 19 World Boxing Super Series in the Super Lightweight Division. Taylor won his first world title, the IBF Light World Weight title, by unanimous decision against Ivan Baranchik 
in Glasgow on the 18th of May 2019. I think it's the same place where he picked up his gold as well for the Commonwealth Games. He then went on to win the unification bout against the WBA Super Light Welterweight Champion, Regis Pro Grade by Majority Division in the final of World Boxing Super Series at the O2 Arena in London on the 26th of October 2009. I'm sure it's all fresh in our memory. Taylor lifted that Mohammed Ali trophy along with the vacant Ring Magazine title, which was also voted as the BTR Boxing Fight of the Year by all the listeners that took that, that happened there uh, that we did show in December. Yeah, so obviously we did them them multiple polls that we put out to decide who the fans felt was the fight of the year. And actually it turned out that Josh Taylor's fight against Regis Pagrai was the fight of 2019 for, for the majority of the fans. So, you know, that was a really, really good year for Josh Taylor. He, he had a fantastic 2018 and 2019. And obviously now we're looking at Josh Taylor as the potential undisputed champion of that division. He's only got to go out there really now and, and, and beat Jose Ramirez. He's the only other name that he needs to go and beat to really be crowned the best fighter of the super lightweight division. So it is going to be really interesting uh, that when boxing returns, you know, Josh Taylor did have a fight lined up against a, an undefeated Thai fighter, but I'm really going to be interested to see whether that Ramirez fight happens and whether he will go on then to become an undisputed champion in the super lightweight division. So, Tom Stalker in the light welterweight category was next at 64 kilos and he actually captained the Great Britain team to a gold medal at the 2010 Commonwealth Games in Delhi beating Scotland's Josh Taylor in the final with the English captain running out as a 10-3 winner. Stalker won a silver medal at the 2011 European Championships in Turkey and he also won a bronze at the 2011 World Championships in Baku in Azerbaijan which sealed his qualification for the 2012 Olympic Games. The qualification to the Olympics came four years after Stalker actually lost out in the selection process for the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Now, in 2012, Tom Stalker captained Team GB in London and was actually ranked number one by AIBA's world rankings, meaning he was seeded at the draw and received a bye through to the round of 16. He fought Manuj Kamu of India in a furious battle with Stalker winning by a score of 20 to 16, which booked him a place in the last eight. Now, in the quarterfinals, he actually lost to Munich Erdain Urachimeg of Mongolia by a score of 23 to 22, much to the dismay of the 10,000 fans in attendance at the Excel Arena. Now, it wasn't the first dubious decision at the Games, as Team GB had won several hometown decisions already, and a heartbroken stalker revealed on his Twitter account saying... Absolutely heartbroken. The judges have wrecked my life from the bottom of my heart. I won that fight, and there's nothing I can do about it. Really, yeah, sad. I mean, he really thought he was he was really tipped to to definitely medal. Um, and in a division where he he, he could quite easily have picked up a medal, when he was very close, twenty three, twenty two. I mean, that, you can't get any closer. And you know, the crowd obviously felt he deserved it, but there were a couple of decisions throughout. As as we mentioned in when we done the USA eighty four and seventy six, same thing. You know, you're going to get it. Unfortunately, it's, it's present in in the, in the sport of boxing, especially at amateur level. But on nine on on the, the 9th of January two thousand twelve, Stalker signed his first professional contract with Eddie Hearn's Matchroom Sport um, under that banner. Uh, but his pro career basically didn't bode well when he were. He actually retired not long after losing to Sean Dodd. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't the best of careers. Again, he was tipped. I, mean, I do remember Eddie Hearn speaking very highly and, and really thinking he's going to go on and at least sort of 
challenge for the world title honours, but it didn't happen, unfortunately, for Stalker. A good fighter, great amateur, but um, again, just couldn't turn it over to that pro game. No, he really couldn't. He was one that when he did turn over, you know, he was he was given a lot of praise and a lot of hype, especially by obviously Eddie Hearn, of course, you know. We know that guy can sell anything to anyone and he was selling Stalker to everybody, but unfortunately for Stalker, through injuries and, and lackluster performance, it just didn't work out the way that we expected it to. He was meant to go on and obviously get really, really good honours in his career, but unfortunately he, he didn't. And obviously that loss to Sean Dodd was kind of the final nail in the coffin for, for his professional career. Now moving into the welterweight category, represented Great Britain at the 2012 Olympics with Fred Evans. Now in 2011, he actually competed in the European Amateur Boxing Championships in Turkey, winning a gold medal. Now following his performances at the European and World Championships, Evans was confirmed as the youngest member of Britain's boxing squad for the 2012 Summer Olympics in London at the age of 21. Evans met the Canadian Custio Clayton in the quarterfinals, and with the scores tied at 14 apiece, the judges awarded the bout to Freddie Evans based on a countback. Now, not satisfied with the decision, Canada actually lodged an appeal against that decision on the basis that Evans was cautioned three separate times for holding during the bout, but was not penalised a point for the infraction by the referee. The fight was subsequently reviewed and judged for a second time, but Aiba instead concluded that Evans was incorrectly cautioned and as a result did not deserve any points deductions. So victory guaranteed Evans at least a bronze medal, and in the semi-finals, Evans met the world number one ranked fighter, Ukrainian Taras Shalistuk. Evans won the first and second rounds with Shalistuk, taking the third, but Evans held on to claim an 11-10 victory. And in the final, Evans met Serik Sapiev of Kazakhstan and struggled in this particular bout, losing 17-9, but despite defeat, he won a silver medal, making him the most successful Welsh Olympic boxer ever, surpassing the bronze medal won by Ralph Evans at the 1972 Summer Olympics. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a silver medal for Evans. I mean, he didn't quite get the gold he would have wanted, but a silver medal is a, a fantastic achievement for, for Evans. And he did actually compete for the British Lionhearts team in the World Series of Boxing, was named in the British squad to compete in the 2013 AIBA World Boxing Championships in Kazakhstan. He was then selected for the Welsh team in the 2014 Commonwealth Games. He was actually denied accreditation to compete at the tournament due to a conviction for assault, which happened obviously outside of the ring, which didn't bode well for him. But he did turn professional on December 5th, uh, 2015, and Evans moved into the professional ranks and is still competing. I believe he fought the top of the year. I haven't really been keeping too much of tabs on Evans. Um, the other guys have sort of overshadowed him. But, yeah, I'm not sure if you know a bit more on what Evans is doing at the minute. I'm sure, I know he's still active. Obviously, uh, I think about 29 as well. So um, he needs to get his get an act together and try and uh, get himself into that professional ranks into the picture to maybe win some domestic titles. I think that's what's missing out of his career at the moment for Fred Evans is obviously he needs to, to start getting into them fights. He's got the potential 
And, you know, with, with Evans, he's had eight fights in his professional career, seven victories, and that one loss on his record uh, to Ryan Toms into 2018. But, you know, since then, he's he's been back. He beat Chris Jenkins, he beat Wilmer Gonzalez uh, in February of this year, as he was rightly pointing out there, Johnston. So he is making his, his comeback. He is trying to, to push his career on. The thing is, he didn't obviously turn... Per, you know, he didn't. He, did, he turned professional in 2015, but he didn't actually compete in his first bout until 2017. So technically, he didn't turn professional to 2017, although he announced it in in December 2015. So for for Fred Evans, he's a guy that I think at the moment has not fulfilled his potential that we believe he's got. But he is 29. He has got a couple of years definitely left to do that. And I think he's a guy that I think for me, could end up being another Tom Stalker if he doesn't get involved in competitive fights really quickly. And that's that's really the reality of the situation for him. But our next competitor for the GB squad, Anthony Ogogo in the middleweight category, were, was a different story. Now, Ogogo competed in the 2010 Commonwealth Games in Delhi at middleweight, and he won a silver medal after being defeated in the final by Northern Ireland's Eamon O'Kane by a score of 16-4. to now, Ogogo secured his place on the GB team for 2012 in Turkey in April 2012. So he got that last final qualifier and made it there at the last minute, as we said earlier on in the episode. Now, Ogogo was one of the first British boxers to make their Olympic debut on the 28th of July, opening with a round of 32 bouts against Junior Castillo of the Dominican Republic, who he beat by a score of 13-6. to in his round of 16 bout against the world champion and world number one Ukrainian Everhan Kirtov, the judges scored it a draw of 18-18 to 18, and the 52-52 countback score was not separating the fighters. So the decision went down to the judges to press either the blue or the red pad based on their opinion as to who deserved the decision. The majority of the five officials, of course, chose Anthony Agogo, and he then went on to beat Germany's Stefan Hartel in the quarterfinals, 15-10, to before losing to Brazilian Esquivia Falcó-Florentino in the semi-final, 16-9, claiming a bronze medal. A postbox in his hometown of Loscoft on Rectory Road was painted bronze in honour of his result, but has since been repainted red. <laughs> which I found quite funny to, to hear that. Now, in December 2012, Agogo signed his first professional contract with Los Angeles-based promotional company Golden Boy Promotions. And in March 2017, still wanting to become a world champion, Agogo was registered blind. He was advised to retire by several eye specialists following two operations on his left eye which was a really sad state of affairs to be honest with you with what happened to him because obviously in his professional career we've only really sort of skimmed over it but in his professional career it actually started out oh so well until he actually ended up getting defeated by Craig Cunningham and when he got defeated by Cunningham that really sort of set the blueprint for the downfall of his career and and obviously there was issues in that fight with with his eye and that's ultimately why he ended up having the issues and ended up seeing the eye specialist. Now, on March the 11th, 2019, having not fought since 2016, Agogo retired from boxing at the age of 30 and he released a long statement thanking many names who had helped him and guided him throughout his amateur and professional career, closing the statement with, I've been through a lot in my career. I've had 17 operations and suffered every pain imaginable. I've won, lost, 
cried and hurt. But if you were to ask me, would I do it again? In a heartbeat. I love this game. And obviously he retired with a record of 11 wins, 7 inside the distance, and obviously that one sole loss that I referred to earlier during his four-year short professional career. But one thing I did wanted to add, I don't know if anybody's followed Anthony Agogo since that subsequent retirement, that he actually went training to be a wrestler and actually signed for... Uh, an up-and-coming wrestling promotion called AEW. So any wrestling fans out there who've been watching the rise of this particular wrestling promotion will know very much who AEW are. And Anthony Agogo has actually signed for them as a professional wrestler now. Oh, wow. Good for him. I mean, I did the last I see of Anthony Agogo was those sort of... On social media, he was putting out a few videos and, and I remember him saying he's going for his last surgery and his eye was just a mess, wasn't it? And, and I mean, I really felt for him. Um, he was obviously really down and really low, and he used uh, the social media platform as a way of support. And um, and I, I think it sort of helped him because um, people were. I mean, after the after the defeat, the kind of defeat, it was it was a bit. I don't know, it was one of those where people just were, oh, that was it. He was exposed and blah blah. blah. And then obviously, it just went downhill for him. And obviously, getting that getting signed with Golden Boy Promotions, it, it just looked like it was, he was destined for the top didn't work out frankly and a really really sad ending for him but yeah good luck to him hopefully he does well in the rest of the and he continues that so the next competitor and the final competitor of the men's olympic side of the boxing team is a certain anthony joshua in the super heavyweight category plus 91 kilos now as we know from joshua's story he was a late starter to the sport only beginning boxing in 2007 at the age of 18 when his cousin suggested he take it up now, Joshua won the 2009 and 2010 Haringey Box Cup and the Senior ABA Championships in 2010 in only his 18th bout. And he later turned down a £50,000 offer to turn professional at this point. And he said, turning down £50,000 was easy. I didn't take up the sport for money. I want to win medals. He also went on to win the same tournament the following year. And in 2010, he became the British Amateur Champion at the GB Championships. And in October 2011, he was named Amateur Boxer of the Year by the Boxing Writers Club of Great Britain. During the 2011 World Championships in Baku, Joshua marked his sudden arrival on the world scene when he won a silver medal. En route to the final, Joshua secured his place at the 2012 Olympic Games in the Super Heavyweight Division as a relative newcomer to the elite level. Of the sport, yeah, and uh, well, going into what Joshua did, I mean, I'm sure we all know Joshua went into the 2012 London Olympics as as you mentioned as a novice, a novice of the international scene, and despite being a silver uh, silver medalist, uh, world silver medalist in the world championships, but he received a tough draw as well in the last 16 of the super heavyweight events in Cuban. It was Lander Savon, who was actually ranked number four in the world by Eba, and he battled through. And we were given the result 17-16, a very close win for him. This decision actually caused some controversy with some observers believing Savon had clearly won the bout, whilst a few others taking the view that he had won it on merit. Um, and in his next bout, he fought 2008 Beijing Olympic silver medalist Zhang uh, Z- Zellini. I always get his name wrong, but he's a massive guy, isn't he? Yeah. Dropping his tool on opponent in the middle round, Joshua won 15-11. In the semi-final, Joshua met Kazakh boxer Ivan Ditchko uh, and won 13-11 to gain a place in the Olympic final. Uh, that was again the same night, the same bolt was on the relays, and uh, I was one of the two boats for Joshua met the 32-year-old 
reigning Olympic champion and former two-time world champion Roberto Camali of Italy. Now, after conceding the first two rounds, 6-5 and in 13-10, Joshua grew into the fight and fought back to level the scores after the third round, 18-18. Joshua was announced the winner via a countback and the new Olympic world champion. The final decision was criticised by some boxing experts. Still today, people mention it being defined as a home decision and he was appointed an MBE in the 2013 New Year Honours for service to boxing as well. So, yeah, a couple of contentious results there for Anthony and one that people still sort of like to pull on even today. I slept all night. I've done all my packing, spent time with the other athletes on my team and we just spent it on a high. You've got something rather impressive around your neck. Yeah. How does that feel? It feels heavy. It feels very heavy, as you... You can feel it as uh, well. You tell no lie, that is quite weighty. It is, and uh, it just uh, represents a lot of struggle, a lot of hard work, um, a lot of experience. That's what I think this means to me. And uh, even I say the weight's off my shoulder, this just reminds me how much pressure was on it. The weight's off your shoulder around your neck. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And when you heard the words, Anthony Joshua, Olympic champion, how was that? It feels, it feels like, like it doesn't feel real. You know, because I focus more on one fight at a time. And I'm trying to tell myself, it's not the finals, it's just another fight, it's just another fight. And uh, I, I won another fight in my mind, but what came with it was becoming the 2012 Olympic champion, which was great. What message have you got for young Londoners about how sport has changed your life and, and what it can do for your, your vision, your ambition, your horizons? Um, you know, when you're young, you've got so much energy, not much to do. Um, so sometimes you can find yourself doing stuff that you're not supposed to do but you don't realise it because you're just burning up energy it doesn't always have to be sport you know but try to be productive do good things whether it's charity work I know it doesn't sound cool you know what I mean but um, in the long run when you get a bit older and stuff and you start realising about your future you'll understand and uh, I just hope that the elder generation as well can guide the youth because sometimes the youth don't have anyone to, uh, to look up to yeah, the, the, the two decisions in that particular Olympic Games was obviously the Savon decision. People felt that he'd lost that decision. People still do allude to that. Uh, even today, even in 2020, of what he's achieved, which we'll touch on in a minute. And then even in the, the final against Roberto Camarelli, even then people felt like he'd lost that particular one. And he was very lucky to get it only because it was in London, which I can understand why people would think it's a, a hometown decision. I mean, looking back on it in hindsight, I think it's quite possible that on any other night he might have lost that. But obviously it was, it was written in the stars for Anthony Joshua. And of course, if you've been living under a rock for the last <laughs> six, seven years, then you probably don't even know what we're talking about. Of course you do. It's Anthony Joshua, for God's sake, 2013, he confirmed that he was going to turn professional under the Matchroom Sport promotional banner and he went on to hold the British and Commonwealth heavyweight titles from 2014 to 2016 and as we know now he's a two-time unified heavyweight champion having held the WBA Super, IBF, WBO and IBO titles since December 2019 and previously between 2016 and 2019. Of course we know how his career has gone today Epic fights with Klitschko, he's had Povetkins, the the shock loss in 2019 to Andy Ruiz and then to come back and win the title in Saudi Arabia. It's been a great tale and we're all looking forward to see what happens next in the story of Anthony Joshua. Will he fight 
the other champion of the heavyweight division, which is a certain Tyson Fury, a fight that we're all really wanting in Britain for obvious reasons, of course. So it's been really good to go through all the men in this particular Olympic Games. But let's talk about the history-making women of the Olympic Games. And let's start in the flyweight category, a certain Nicola Adams. Adams actually fought and won her first bout at the age of 13, but it was four years before she found a second opponent. In 2001, she became the first female boxer to ever represent England, and in 2003, she became the English amateur champion for the first time and retained the title at the next three championships. In 2007, Adams was the first English female to win a medal in a major tournament taking silver in the bantamweight category at the European Championships in Denmark. She then won a silver again at the World Championships in China in 2008 and she took a silver at the 2010 World Championships in Barbados at flyweight as well. Now, Adams struggled to continue her boxing career due to a lack of funds so she ended up working acting as an extra in soaps such as Coronation <laughs> Street, Emmerdale and EastEnders. All the UK fans will know exactly what we're talking about because most of the UK fight fans that listen to this podcast are a demographic of males and you probably know it because of the fact that your missus is probably making you watch it all the time. And she actually <laughs> went on to work as a builder before the International Olympic Committee backed funding for women's boxing in 2009. So this is going to show you sort of how much of a struggle it was at this point for for female boxers that the fact that she wasn't even able to go and compete for a certain period of time because she had to go and work certain jobs to be able to fund actually living which is crazy when you look back on it now in november 2010 adams was victorious in the first ever gb amateur boxing championships at the echo arena in liverpool and in 2011 she won the gold at the european union amateur boxing championships Now, Nicola Adams won gold at the European Games in 2015 in Baku. Nicola Adams then won gold at the European Championships in 2011 in Baku in Azerbaijan to qualify for the 2012 Summer Olympics. She defeated Mary Kom from India in the flyweight semi-final and went on to defeat the Chinese world number one, Ren Kakan, in the final to claim the first Olympic women's boxing gold medal it was the support in the arena you know everybody was cheering and i was just drawing all the crowd's energy in and you know use, using it to my to my advantage you know i know um can can's a tricky opponent and I, I just didn't want to take anything to chance and you know i kept a tight defense and stuck to the tactics and uh, it all paid off i think as well it was uh, my coaches in the corner i didn't actually realize how, how many points i was up they were, they were saying to me I was only two or three points up, so you know I had to keep t- keep tight and yeah. uh, stay focused, and which I think um, uh, it helped me and, and uh, it was it was a good good game plan. <laughs> just thinking, just stay focused. You know she's still a dangerous da- uh, dangerous opponent. You know and you can you can get this gold and it'll be a, a dream come true. Yeah, I mean what an amazing achievement for for Nicola Adams. I mean you're just going through that there, and I think it was important that we do because you know when she did win. When she did turn over, which we mentioned earlier, she was a bit later in her life, and obviously why the professional game didn't quite work out. It's just a shame she didn't turn for, sort of she didn't begin her career nowadays. I mean, young girls have now got much more great opportunities because of Nicola Adams, and I think that's something that should, all, you know, definitely worth mentioning. All the struggles she went through and winning that gold medal must have been amazing for her. And uh, at the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, Adams knocked out Michaela Walsh of Northern Ireland to take the gold medal in the women's flyweight division on the split division. 
Then at the 2016 Euro Olympic Games, Adam successfully defended her Olympic crown and title, defeating Sarah Aramonu of France in the final. So uh, she went on to repeat that gold medal feat again, which is something it's just remarkable, really. And then on um, January 23, 2017, it was confirmed that Adam had turned over to professionals. She actually signed with Frank Warren. Uh, but unfortunately for Adam, she announced her retirement from boxing in November 2019. We did speak about Adam on our BTR feature, and she did finish her career with a five and zero and one record. She just, she, I think she's just a little bit too old. I think, I think the turnover was a bit. She's she, not too old, but in terms of turning over to the pro game, normally you need to be a little bit younger. And I, I just think that for her, I think it was the, the right thing to do. Maybe I mean I always think she could go back to the amateurs and try and push for Tokyo, but um, I mean I'm not sure how, they, how that could happen. But yeah, I mean what a fantastic achievement, a, a, an absolute legend for female Olympic boxing. Well, I think the, the one thing that you've not touched on there, which uh, people obviously will, will allude to, is the fact that she did actually become a world champion in her professional career. Uh, a bit, she was obviously handed the world title. She was awarded the world title. And people obviously <laughs> had a bit of a, a bit of a kick-off about that. And, you know, I agree with people when they say it was, wasn't the right thing to do. She did go on, obviously, to defend it. But then... The, the retirement became because of the fact that she had issues with her eyes, much like Antonia Gogo did. And there was one of her eyes, I can't remember which one it was, but it was said to her by a doctor that if you carry on boxing, you're going to go blind. And that is why oh, she's wow. made the decision to retire. So she retired an undefeated world champion. It was not the way people would have wanted that career to go down. Of course, she wouldn't have wanted that career to go down. Of course she wouldn't. But she had an unbelievable amateur career. She transcended female boxing from the 2012 Olympics. Let's not forget what her impact on that side of the sport was. Of course, it's unbelievable what she achieved. The professional career didn't go how we wanted it to go. But of course, we can't be blamed for what happened to her with her eye. And of course, we we, we really, truly appreciate what she did for the female side of the sport and how it's set a trend. And, And so did the other two ladies that came into the 2012 Olympics who we'll move on to. And the next one was in the lightweight category. It was Natasha Jonas from Liverpool. Now, Jonas was actually a five-time ABA champion in the 64-kilo division. By 2009, she became the first female boxer to compete for GB Boxing. In the same year, she claimed gold in the 64-kilo division at the 2009 Women's European Union Amateur Boxing Championships in Bulgaria after she overcame Silla Sitai of Hungary in the final. And Jonas won another gold medal in the inaugural GB Amateur Boxing Championships in 2010 when she pipped rival Amanda Coulson by one point in an exciting bout and then she made history yet again in China in May of 2012 when she reached the semi-finals of the AIBA Women's Boxing World Championships to become the first ever female British boxer to qualify for an Olympic Games. Impressive stuff. What a great start for her, for Natasha. And the fact as well, the funny thing is, that I think uh, she's, a, she's the sister of Paris, the young girl that plays for England up front as well in the women's football team. And she was actually going to be a footballer. So she's, she's done really well as an amateur boxer, that's for sure. And so she went on to get a bronze medal and she got her place in the 2012 London Olympic Games. Now, Jonas did face Quinita Underwood of the United States in the round of 16, winning 21-13. In a quarter-final bout, she took on a four-time world champion and Ireland's flag bearer, a certain Katie Taylor, but lost 26-15 and obviously didn't manage to get a medal. Katie Taylor obviously went on to win the gold. 
And Natasha actually turned professional on June 23rd, 2017, and is currently still a pro with a record of 19-1-7 KOs. The sole loss came to the Brazilian Vivian Obanoff in uh, 2018. In, in a fight that, I mean, we, we discussed this as well with Jonas, I'm sure we did. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad she's still carrying on because I, I believe she decided to retire and she came back. Well, I think initially that loss to Obanoff was very unexpected and quite a shock loss to Obanoff because Obanoff was sort of like what we would say as a world sort of fringe contender, not so much a world beater, but a fringe contender. And to be beaten to Obanoff after everyone expected Jonas to go on and challenge for a world title, everyone was talking about the rematch between Jonas and Katie Taylor. And unfortunately, that, that plan was scuppered by Obanoff. But before we went into lockdown and the coronavirus pandemic swept the world, she was supposed to be fighting Terry Harper for her WBC super featherweight title that she claimed, which in a great fight against... Uh, Eva Wallstrom so that's going to be a fight that that, that's going to be a fight that's rescheduled I believe for later on this year around October time so we're going to get to see Jonas get that attempt at becoming a world champion against Terry Harper so her career is certainly not done yet but again Jonas is is about 33-34 now so this really will be her last ditch attempt at trying to fulfill becoming a world championship in the professional ranks so it is really interesting as to as to how her career has panned out she's created a lot of history and done a lot of things in the amateur side she's one of the most decorated boxes that we've ever had in England so it's really really good to see that she's getting her opportunity for a world title shot now the final female in the women's boxing Olympic team was Savannah Marshall in the middleweight category at 75 kilos. So following her win in China at the 2012 Aiba Women's Boxing World Championships, Marshall was a favourite to win gold at the 2012 London Olympics, mainly because she defeated and is the only fighter to have ever defeated a certain Clarissa Shields, the women's middleweight gold medalist at the 2012 Olympics. Now, unfortunately, the 2012 Olympics for Samantha Marshall didn't quite go to plan, and she was defeated 16 to 12 by Marina Volanova of Kazakhstan in her opening quarter-final bout. Now, at the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, Marshall actually went on to beat Ariane Fortin of Canada to take the gold medal in the women's middleweight division, and then in 2016 she qualified for the 2016 Rio Olympics. And after reaching the semi-finals of the 2016 Aiba Women's Boxing Championships in Kazakhstan, on the 18th of May 2017, during a press conference to promote Giovanta Davis against former British champion Liam Walsh, Floyd Mayweather Jr. announced to the press that he'd signed Savannah Marshall to a professional promotional contract and she made her debut at Super Middleweight on the undercard of the money fight between Floyd Mayweather Jr., and Conor McGregor, and it took place at the T-Mobile Arena in Paradise, Nevada, on the 26th of August, 2017. She defeated Sydney LeBlanc by unanimous decision in a four-round bout, and has gone on since to win the vacant WBA Super Middleweight Intercontinental title, winning all 12 rounds to claim a comfortable points victory over Yanina Ozarko. Now, as we know, Marshall is currently undefeated as a professional. She's got eight wins on her record, with six coming by way of knockout. Uh, she's not with Flo Mayweather anymore. <laughs> she was with <laughs> Hennessy. She went from Flo Mayweather to Hennessy, and now she's gone to Matchroom. And before coronavirus took over, as we said about Natasha Jonas, she 
as in Marshall, was going on to fight for the light heavyweight world title, challenging the light heavyweight world champion. And again, that's now been rescheduled to later on in the year. So we've yet to see the best of Savannah Marshall. I think a lot of people in boxing, any pundits and and any journalists that you speak to about Savannah Marshall do genuinely believe she's going to become a world champion. Yeah, I I, I don't doubt it. I mean, the fact that that she's beating Clarissa Shields as well, which is, that's that's a great feat, uh, something that I I did sort of know, I wasn't 100% aware of where it happened, obviously it was before, um, it was at the 2012 AEW Women's World Championships that she did that, but um, yeah, it didn't quite work out for her in 2012, and then obviously the fact that she did qualify for the games in Brazil to then for then Floyd Mayweather to mention in the press conference that in actual fact she signed her. that that did actually tickle me a little bit. I couldn't believe that happened. But uh, yeah, I mean I'm I'm with you. I mean what 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 a great start for your professional career though to fight on that money fight. I mean that ain't a fight I've seen personally. I didn't pay to watch it. I still haven't seen that Mayweather Junior and McGregor fight, but it's a great show for you to to uh, promote yourself on and obviously as you say she went with Hennessy and now she's with with Eddie. So um, I just hope that Eddie can, you know, push for a world title fight. Eddie says moving up to light weight division. This, hopefully, she can move on and and do something and, and win a, a, a legitimate world title in a way. You know, I believe that, as you say, many pundits, many experts will say it that she has the potential to do it. It's just a matter of whether she can fill it, fulfill it or not. Hopefully, she can. That's all the competitors for the 2012 GB Olympic boxing team. And whilst it's nothing alongside the 1984 and 76 teams of the USA, of course. It is our most successful team, as Johnson rightly pointed out at the start of the episode, since Melbourne 1956. And we had bronze medals, we had gold medals, we had female boxers going over to, to, to win medals as well. It was just an unbelievable Games in general. The Olympic Games 2012 were fantastic. And obviously we had the 2004 with Amir Khan, 2008 with obviously guys like... James Gale, who came off the back of it, who went on to become world champion. But the 2012 one really was, I think, the, the Olympic Games for Team GB that set a precedent of what the sort of funding we was going to get for Great Britain boxing at the Olympics and in the amateurs. And, and that's really what set a precedent was the 2012 Games. And I think that's why it was so pivotal for us to, to do this episode after doing, obviously, two successful USA Olympic teams that we had to really highlight how much it meant to... British boxing to have this level of squad and obviously look at what the guys you know some of them have come out of the back of this Olympic Games to go and do you mean you've got Josh Taylor who's potentially going to be an undisputed champion of his division Anthony Joshua who's practically you know the undisputed champion of his division we've got that big fight with Tyson Fury of course and then you've got obviously guys like Luke Campbell who's gone for world titles twice and come up short in his two attempts Andrew Selby could potentially go on to become a world champion Savannah Marshall Natasha Jonas Nicola Adams did win a world title as we've discussed in this episode so you think about the impact as a whole that overall GB boxing team from 2012 had and it just goes to show you that alongside some of the stuff that was going on in the professional ranks at the time the whole overall package of this team really set a precedent to go on to the 2016 Olympics and subsequently when we do get the uh, the scheduled Olympics that were for 2020 and 2021 we're going to really get to see how much more we've moved forward so it was a really pivotal moment in amateur boxing for Team GB this 2012 Olympics It really was and obviously the home games was massive everybody wanted to be a part of it and we did fantastically well and obviously moving into to the, to Brazil into Rio we had Joshua Brightsey picked up a 
he got a bronze medal, didn't he? And we had Joe Joyce with a silver, and then Nicola Adams again picking up a gold. So, you know, we had three medals there. Hopefully we can, I mean, I think the target is always three to four medals. Always trying to get that one gold. And obviously we know, you know, Joe Joyce and Buatzi, you know, Joe Joyce is going to be fighting Dubois. And then obviously on the other side of that, the link to Daniel is obviously Caroline, who's going to be featuring in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. It's definitely one to look out for and one that I you know, I can't... Mike Costello speaks so highly of this girl. I haven't seen her personally. I, I do mean to go onto YouTube and have a look. Um, but by the sound of it, she's an absolute beast. And um, I'm expecting a goal from that girl. And uh, she could well fall in the footpath and in the footsteps of of Marshall, Jonas and Adams. Yeah, it's just... Now, with no boxing Olympics, it was great to do this little free part. Obviously, GB nowhere near as, as successful as the US teams. Um, and it's, it's quite ironic that the way they, you know, that, that what they consider to be a, a poor Olympic show is actually quite successful for us. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was, I mean, 2012, just in, in all, was, was a fantastic time. Super Saturday and on the track as well, which was magnificent. And, and the boxing was just first class. And to see guys like Joshua and Taylor, I think probably, the, the two best to come out of uh, Olympic boxing on a male version, on the male side of things, in a way, I believe, um, at, at this present time. And, and, and there could be two under, undisputed champions. It's crazy. And obviously, Tyson Fury not making it as well, which is crazy because look where he is at the minute. Joshua, Joshua Fury, I mean, what a great fight that would be. Hopefully we'll get it. Well, it's been a pleasure as always to do this special Olympic episode and hopefully the next time you hear from the BTR Boxing Podcast main feed, it will be to talk about boxing coming back. There obviously has been announcements of lockdown restrictions being released so it looks like Top Rank will be the first promotional company to be able to put on a major card in America. They're looking at June the 9th and subsequently the following weekend. So maybe you'll get a little preview show coming over the course of the next week. And we'll always get these little specials out in between as well where we can. So as always, thank you for everybody that's supported the BTR Boxing Podcast main feed during this lockdown period. We've had the Brits Abroad episode. We've obviously had the Olympic Games episodes, which we've really thoroughly enjoyed doing. And we really appreciate all the feedback and support that we've had off the back of these little special episodes. And of course, if you've not followed us on Twitter already, you can do so by checking us out at BTR Boxing Pod. And on Facebook, the BTR Boxing Podcast Network, where you can get all our series, including The Darker Side of Boxing, Career Profiles, Legendary Nights, and Ones to Watch. If you've not subscribed to the podcast already, please go and check it out on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really does help on any available other podcasting app out there. And this has been another episode based on the Olympic Games. This time, it was the turn of Team GB from 2012. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatt rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.